favorite podcast. I don't, I've never listened to her podcast. Well, how also, often are you on Facebook? I do too. No, not really. <laughs> People are recommending podcasts on Facebook. Yeah, well, a lot of people are going on, like road trips and stuff like that, so they're like, oh, like I need like stuff to buy my time. So yeah, yeah. How often do people recommend this podcast on Facebook? Oh, this one? Kurt did. Yeah. Kurt oh, did? Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty energizing to be in a room with pre-service teachers. They have big ideas and are passionate about the work ahead of them. Jessica Shim is a second-year master's student in the elementary education program at VCU who's from Glen Allen, Virginia, but grew up in Seoul, South Korea. Tyler Arnold is from Ashland, Virginia. He's a first-year master's student in the Richmond Teacher Residency Program at VCU and will be doing his residency at Armstrong High School in the fall. Sarah Hunter is from Arlington, Virginia, is in her last year of her master's in teaching program at VCU and is currently student teaching. They share their thoughts about public education and their expectations about what it is like to be a public school teacher. Thank you all for being here. Problem. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah. thanks for inviting us. Thanks Talking for the invite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're thrilled to have you. Um, so it's a pleasure to be in the presence of pre-service teachers because we think the teachers are awesome. Uh, we're pretty biased towards you guys. And so we want to know your thoughts on public education and your decisions to um, enter into this profession and to serve students. So what is the purpose of public schools? Um, I guess like when I think of public schools, I like to focus on, I like to focus on the word public, you know, um, as opposed to like, you know, a charter or private or half public or something like that. And then I like to think of like other public utilities, for example, you know, like a public park or a public highway or a public, you know, bathroom even, you know. And when I think of things like that, I think of it being a very uniform, kind of, like, similar thing no matter where you go, you know? So I think that, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, I think the purpose of a public school is to provide a place for education no matter where you go. It'll be, like, similar, the same, like, provides equal opportunity for everyone because if you're a child born in a certain environment and you're a child born in another environment, you can't help that you're born in that same, in, in, in that certain environment and... Some people, you know, some kids, like, you know, everyone deserves, like, that same education. I agree. I also think that um, when I think of the the word public, like, Jess, like, the, what governments, like, I, I, I don't understand um, how education isn't um, given the utmost priority, right? Because it should be something that the government wants every single child to, you know, have this basis because that's your future, right? Mm -hmm. So when I think public education, I think of that investment of that or how how much worth the country sees in the future and the children. Mm -hmm. Um, Same with, you know, a park. Like, that's a really important piece of community where people can come together and they can experience nature and all that other kind of stuff. And, you know, people put a lot of money into that kind of thing because it's important. So when I think public education and I think of the kind of funds or, um, uh, you know, time that's spent to create this thing, it directly correlates to what I think that that government's worth is in their future and in their children. Yeah, I think um, it's a, like, 
good points that everyone's made. It's like a social institution that, you know, the government is there to provide a service that's for the betterment of everyone. So if everyone has equal access to education, then it kind of helps uplift society as a whole. And it's also just something there that I think helps build skills in everyone. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a specific thing. It could just be general social skills or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just a, just a basic uh, social institution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I heard some people talk about um, how the purpose of public schools is to serve students that are coming from a variety of backgrounds, right? So, like, you have people that are coming from maybe um, wealthier socioeconomic levels compared to, to lower socioeconomic levels and that this is something that's supposed to be uh, a public institution, right? So how well do you think we currently serve all students equitably in public education? Not well at all. Well, I think it's really interesting. Like, the word public is interesting because public can be, like, public for the United States and public can also be public for, like, you know, a state like Virginia or public can also be, like, a county like Henrico or, like, a city like Richmond or even, like, a town, you know? And as of right now, a lot of the funding from education comes from local and, like, property taxes and stuff like that in the United States. And I think that's really interesting because is that really, like, public as in public for, like, the United States as our, like, democracy goal for a whole is or is it just, like, public Hmm. quotes, like, you know, in, in... just for, like, our locality or municipality. Mm -hmm. You know know what I'm saying? And, like, um, I read this article the other day about how the United States has, like, 17% of, like, the gap between, um, like, low-achieving kids and high-achieving kids come from their um, socioeconomic status, whereas in, like, other countries such as Japan, it's really low, like, only, like, 9%, because Japan's idea of, like, public is very different from, you know, like, the idea of public in the United States and even because I grew up in South Korea and in Korea no matter what school you go to it's the exact it's it's the same school and they provide like you know they provide you with like gym uniforms and they provide you with like lunch and all this stuff and it's like a a given you know so it was very it was a very kind of interesting culture shock to come here and see that like you know it's a public education but it's not really like public if you think Mm -hmm. about it because it's very different for everybody so there's gaps in school quality? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Why do you think that is? Uh, I mean, I think there's a multitude of, I mean, like urban public schools. I mean, I think some of them can suffer from having the adequate funding just because, like, if you're in a state capital, you don't receive as much property taxes because you have state, local, and sometimes federal institutions. So I think... Just raw funding is half their problems, but I think there is the fact that we do have these divisions in what's public, whether it's a state, whether it's a city or a county, and that kind of ends up dividing things, and you can drive from one district and you can go 10 minutes over the line and see a massive difference, so I think that's probably one of the the big problems that you'll 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 encounter as far as like what makes it public. I was gonna say I think a lot of the problems you know that we we're kind of like talking about. I think honestly I think they're just like the consequences of like an embedded systemic like classism, racism, like sexism, like those kinds of things. I think they like that's like the core root of it. For example, like you know property taxes has a lot to do with housing discrimination, and housing discrimination has a lot to do with like the school quality, Mm -hmm. you know, in the neighborhoods and things like that. And I think, honestly, 
it's in like if we're talking about like Richmond for example I read a really good book last semester called The Color of Their Skin mm-hmm. and in that book they talk about how like you know the school like the school system itself was designed to segregate yeah when you think about something like Brown versus Board of Education mm-hmm. in the 60s whenever that was passed that was um, it made segregation intentional segregation illegal but didn't require integration. Right. Right? So we still have very segregated schools right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's that's along racial and socioeconomic lines. So what contributes to that, do you think, to that we have such enduring segregation in our schools when it's something that we were mindful of decades ago, but it still is persisting? Well, I think, like, housing is, like directly linked in the fact that you can look at a 1930s map of when they redlined certain neighborhoods for being able to approve a loan if you were a person of color, that they're the exact same neighborhoods that are the high, that have the highest poverty rates. So I think there's a clear link that changing the school system also requires fixing certain housing policies that have also been in place for years. Mm. Yeah, so there's some historical... Um, foundation to what we're seeing right now. I think this all segues well into our our next question, which is what do you see as the biggest challenge facing public schools today? That's a difficult question because there are a lot of challenges (laughs) facing public schools. (laughs) Maybe another way of saying that is as you're entering this profession, what's something that's on your mind? Like what kind of question do you have that you would want to address in your service as a teacher upcoming? Well, Jess and I were talking about this question this morning. Um, I mean, it's hard. Like, it's <laughs> obviously no a hard left job. behind, ESSA. Right, right. and, and not having the freedom, or like we were talking about um, this morning as well, you know, we're learning, pre-service teachers now are learning how to teach in this system where you do not have that much freedom, or and how to compromise, or how to even combine lessons to kind of consolidate things to make your teaching more effective. In my mind, I'm just like, you know, like, can't be that bad like it's it's all attitude you know like it's all you can look at things from multiple different perspectives you don't have to be that negative well I think like it's kind of a segue to hers it's just teacher retention in general like Mm -hmm. especially schools that have um you know low you know a high concentration of low SES status they tend to have much more much harder problems retaining teachers for a longer period of time and when the kids are so used to having a teacher that only lasts one to three years, and the same with the administration that only lasts for one to three years, it be, kind of becomes this just constant cycle all the way from elementary to high school that, you know, no one sticks around. So it just kind of makes them feel like they're either A, too difficult, or no one cares enough to give them the chance. So I think, like the program that I'm a part of, RTR, I think is important that we sign a three-year contract to teach in the city of Richmond, and I think that is very important, and I think they could actually make it even longer Mm. to retain teachers that are well-qualified, highly trained. I think that would go a massive way for for teacher morale and student morale, Mm. so the kids actually want to come to school. And I think a lot of these students that are attending school in these high-poverty urban districts um, are used to um, some incontinuity, right? And they're used to, to having people uh, maybe not stick around in their life. They, they've, they're familiar with abandonment in a lot of ways. And so when you have teachers that have that high turnover, it in some ways can just contribute to, like, oh, here's somebody else. 
in my life that I cared about that I thought cared about me that is now gone. Right. And yeah. Terry Dozier right. talked about that whenever she was on the podcast, mm-hmm. too, about issues with teacher turnover. Why do we think that that's a particular issue in urban high-poverty school districts? It, you, ha- you have to be part of that community to make a valuable difference because you need to be trusted, especially by the parents, especially in low SES like neighborhoods, you need that trust because they're not they're not inherently going to trust the teacher figure in any way. Like right off the bat, you have to earn that respect um, with the parents, and and it's like that's the answer. Like <laughs> that's what you need. That's what you have to have. That's vital. It's the kind of teacher you want to be. Yeah, it's vital, and you have to build that, that relationship with those parents and those siblings and aunts and grandparents and you have to get to know all those kids and the best way to do that is to be there for a while yeah so Sarah, you're involved in that community you're receiving different messages it sounds like you have some examples of teachers that are that are maybe a little bit frustrated have some some compromised morale related to their mm-hmm. job maybe because they haven't felt like they've been treated like professionals in the work that they do sure. and that they have reduced autonomy and then you have some teachers that you feel like are really just dynamite know oh, what yeah. they're doing that I'm are really both end of the end of the spectrum yeah, for sure so I imagine it could be challenging to kind of turn off the the message of this is a very hard job and there's going to be times where there's low morale, Mm -hmm. but still stay oriented to this is the kind of teacher that I want to be. How do you balance that? Yeah, I think I've gotten really lucky with my placements. We were talking about this morning how, like, you know, when you read the news or when you, you know, when you go online or something, you just see all this, like, negative kind of you know, things that are happening in the world right now and you, there's so many problems and you're just one pro- one person, so how are you going to fix all of it? And, like, you know, our focus is on education and, like, we just feel like even if we are becoming teachers, we're not going to make a big difference mm-hmm. because we're just one out of, like, one, like, bazillion problems that are out there, you know? But we were talking about, like, some things that we could be doing, you know, to, like, keep that morale up and, like, because, like, you know, if you focus on the everyday things, building relationships with the kids, like, you know, doing some research research to see, like, what kind of research is out there and, like, what can we do today to, like, make a difference in the classroom today or, like, how can we reach out to this one kid today, mm-hmm. you know, and we were talking about how important that was to, like, you know, for, like, our own, like, you know, self-love so that we don't feel drowned by all these problems because, you know, doing nothing isn't going to solve anything and then just com- completely being drowned by all the problems that are happening today. Yeah, it's yeah. just going to be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so I think to keep morale up, you know, something that I like to do is, like, I keep, like, a monthly blog, you know, and things like that. And, like, I talk about, like, you know, like a video I saw that I thought would be cool to show the kids or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think, like, keeping something like that or, like, a journal. I keep a journal of, like, teaching ideas and stuff. Um, you know, doing little things like that. It does make me feel like when I do get there, you know, I'll look back at those times. You know, like today, like, when I'm doing this podcast thing for example like I'll be like you know like even though there's all these problems going on there are people that are trying to fix it and there are people doing research and there are teachers that want to do well and there are you know role models in our lives that we want to be you know Jessica that's a solid segue I know I was just looking at <laughs> the next oh. question so yeah. perfectly. <laughs> um, at Merck we're always interested in how the worlds of educational research and practice intersect with each other and how we can um, facilitate the communication between those realms because in a lot of ways we, we don't communicate well and we want to get better at that. What do you see as the role of research in furthering public education? Um, I'm like, like Jess said, I think that um, research is what teachers need to rely on the most because it's not political. It's not something that you have to be worried about it's re- it's 
research that we know is working and we know is going to work and it's something that we can do today to help these children instead of focusing on what we can do to change this bigger system um and yeah I think it we were talking about it earlier it's just we are on the ground level we are the first defense for these kids and we are the people who yes we have these limitations and we don't this the our autonomy is not where we want it to be but we can use this research and we can use our creativity that we all know that we have because we're in this field we can use it to directly impact these children regardless of what the politics are so I think it's the most important thing for teachers to um, keep up with I think something important about research in terms of like pre-service teaching like education I think that it's really important to incorporate more research into the pre-service teacher programs and like you know and like maybe have a class or two and like have people write about the research or get involved in research or something because you know from my personal experiences I've only had like one or two papers I had to write that involved like actual research and it wasn't um like to me it wasn't very you know like eye-opening or challenging because it was just like it was very straightforward and step by step but I feel like if you know pre-service teachers took a class to appreciate what research actually is a little bit more and how it affects like education and how it affects the you know policies and government and um because even though teachers we are like on the ground level and that's why it's even more important for us to understand like the political implications of research and the non-political implications of research and I think maybe um we're not getting enough of that kind of education and I would really like to like you know research that like into that a little bit more like try to maybe see like if there's a curriculum available that you know we can get into you know that helps us understand research a little bit better mm-hmm. especially when it comes to early and elementary mm-hmm. especially like mm-hmm. program elementary yeah yeah i agree i don't think that i mean I'm, i don't want to speak for anyone in the program but if i'm sure that if you asked a couple people where even to find any yeah. kind of research <laughs> there would likely that they wouldn't even have the slightest idea how to find it which i think is a major major down side of a lot of pre-service programs Mm. for elementary specifically because it's not something that you know a lot of people may think of when they think about element you know you get the oh that's so cute that you're you know teach that you're gonna be an elementary school teacher it's like no it's a critical development yeah Yeah. it's like no it's like literally one of the most important jobs (laughs) ever yeah you know i mean i think research is important but i think the thing that i've found for the schools that i'm headed to is that there's not a lot of research done on mm-hmm. those schools. Mm-hmm. So some of the stuff that I use is, quite frankly, not useful oh, for me. Mm-hmm. And I think the key is, for research, is to have stuff that's, one, is up-to-date, because some of the stuff that we get is 10 years behind. And then also, as much as you can, and I know this is a very like sensitive thing, if you teach in you know, a highly concentrated, low SES rural school or... The, the same for an urban school, that those school districts are apprehensive about letting researchers into their schools to do research on their kids, which I understand, but also if research is actually going to be a tool that we want those teachers to use, and those are the teachers that probably need it the most, because quite frankly they have the most difficult situation, I, th- I think there needs to be more research that's focused on that, because mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to generalize things mm-hmm. when it's done on suburban white yeah, middle class um, kids. So that's my only like critique of yeah. research. I 
but like I say, I think some of the stuff that like you you've done for your PhD, like I think that for me, for where I'll be teaching at, mm-hmm. totally useful. I think that's what we need. We need more people like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying that research is something that we should ignore or anything like that, but it just it just has to be have a more purpose to it. Yeah. yeah, that's a terrific landscape that you guys just described of the, the educational research world and the current problem that we have. So it's that we have empirical evidence that exists, right, that we know some things that tend to work well in classrooms, that we have maybe an access issue that some folks don't know how to even get this research, or even if it's out there, when you're a teacher, who has time to read peer-reviewed mm-hmm. journal articles whenever you're working with students all the time? And that some of the research that's um, out there might not even be applicable in some of these high-poverty, high-need environments because we're not doing enough research in those realms. So that's, I think that that in a nutshell really describes maybe where we are with this, mm-hmm. um, with this conversation, and that there's some things that we could perhaps be doing better. For so sure. we should continue working on that. There's always room for improvement. Indeed. <laughs> I think something positive, though, is that recently, like, now you have to take this dyslexia dyslexia training if you want to be a teacher you it's it literally was like a several months ago mm-hmm. and now everybody including us we have to take a module if you want to apply for virginia teaching license and those kinds of things like it came from like decades of research mm-hmm. of thinking that dyslexia was some like like <laughs> some kind of condition in the eye to you know now realizing like that's not what it is it's like the it's like it has to do with your brain and all this stuff and mm-hmm. you know and i think you know we could we are you know it's better late than never you know it's like now we're using that research to actually like educate teachers on dyslexia and i think that's and i thought that was interesting but you are right in that it does exclude a lot of like marginalized kind of communities i think because when i was doing research on dyslexia they were talking about like they were talking about how the a boy and a girl's brains work differently when they have dyslexia (laughs) or something Mm -hmm. and i was like well, that's interesting because are they talking about sex or are they talking about gender? Mm-hmm. And has any research been done on like transgender children with dyslexia? And like, how does that work? You know, that kind and of I asked the person. Yeah, and I yeah. asked the lady, and she she said there's been no research yeah. on that. And I'm like, she gave us this like, whole presentation on dyslexia yeah. and research, and yeah, and I was like, you know, that's like interesting. That's an interesting thing to mm. think about because we have to be serving a diverse group of people and many different populations. Yeah. But if we don't have any research on it, like, how are we supposed to even accommodate to those needs? And I think especially once you get in into the schools and you start doing this work, the the gaps start to become apparent to you, right? Because you're working with students and you might recognize, like, oh, these things that I've heard so far do not apply with this one student that mm-hmm. I have in front of me. Yeah. I need to find something that works for them because, as you've mentioned, public education is intended to serve all students, right? And there's no research that's going to capture all students, but we need to piece some stuff together. You're all aspiring to become teachers. You're very close to that, you're on the precipice. <laughs> Exciting. What led you to want to become a teacher? Why are you doing this? Easy question. Anyone want to start? <laughs> Go ahead. Um, what led me to become a teacher? Uh, I, I think for me being in secondary, I think there's a large part, like all of us typically have a love for our content first. So I think I don't think that is like abnormal or wrong that, like, I think a post-elementary, I think they tend to have a love for children <laughs> much more than, than we do. But, you know, um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I think always being a history major, I think I have seen the, the power of what education can do, uh, how it can be used for tool manipulation. It can be used for everything in between, really. Um, so, for but for me, like, I always get this question a lot, especially in RTR, whenever we have a new class. And I usually just say, like, I don't know, it just feels right. <laughs> like, there's no, like, I never had an aha moment. I never was, like, I don't think I could condense it into, like, two or three sentences. It's just something I want to do. Um, I do have an aha moment. Uh, <laughs> in high school, I used to work on the Lakota Indian Reservation doing um, mission work. And during the day, we would do some construction on, you know, houses and trailers and stuff. But in the afternoons... Um, we would go to this Lutheran center uh, for kind of a, you know, the kids don't have school in the summer, so that's, it's, you know, snack time, enrichment, all this other kind of stuff, and it's usually the only time the kids get air conditioning, um, good meal, and around adults that they can trust and that they're safe. It's a really safe space for them. And um, Pine Ridge is, you know, the poorest county in the entire country, so seeing those kids come in, you know, bare feet, dirt, scrapes. There's sometimes their tongues would be swelling up in their mouth because they had, you know, d- no dental care. Um, mm. Over there, they would come in and they would see this woman who runs the program and they would just light, they, like beaming, come in completely beaming. And they would come see us and we were strangers, you know, until the end of that day, you know, and then we were all, you know, best friends with all the kids. But just be, having, being like, that woman um, ended up being my goal, like my goal at the end of that week, um, because no matter where you are, kids always need some kind of po- some positive adult in their life, and a lot of kids, no matter where you are, don't have that. Mm-hmm. And I've I think that kids connect really well to me, um, and I've you know I think that just being there and seeing that that one person can make a difference in all these children's lives and make at least one part of their day bright, that's what led me to want to be that person. Mm-hmm. Um, I never had a really, like, an aha moment either. Like, I, I'm, like, one of those people that wanted to be a teacher since I was, like, the age of, like, three, you know? And, like, <laughs> I would have, like, all my stuffed animals lined up <laughs> and I would, like, teach my stuffed animals stuff, you know? And, like, I mean, for I've literally wanted to be a teacher for as long as I remember, mm. and um, when we moved to the United States, uh, my mom was kind of, like, against me being a teacher, because in the United States, teachers don't, in Korea, teachers make a lot of money, it's a very safe, secure job, it's, like, everyone's school, it is so hard to be a teacher in Korea, you have to take this exam that only happens, like, once a year, and, like, it's just, it's very competitive, but in the United States, it's a little bit different, and my mom wanted me to get a more sec- um, job that would maybe give me a little more money or, mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. And, but I was lucky that, you know, she supported me even though she, that's not what she wanted it to be like. But, I mean, my goal, like, I want to be a teacher, but, like, I want to be, like, a good teacher. Like, I really want to be the best teacher I can be, you know? And, like, what fuels me is watching, just, like, watching other teachers, like, do their thing and, like, do their research and go and go. Like, I'm a part of this group called Richmond Teachers for Social Justice and, like, watching those teachers try to be the best teacher they can be for the kids, even though it's not even, like, they're not even their children. Like, it's it's just children that are going to this public school 
like that really fuels me to want to be a really good teacher and the like every day I'm reminded that like this is what's leading me to be, want to be a teacher mm-hmm. you know like every day it's like a new refreshing moment what do you think the job of being a teacher is like you probably had some experience being in the classroom at this point so you have some idea but what do you think your job is going to be like as a teacher and that includes the successes and the challenges what do you think hard yeah. <laughs> hard how um, I think that hard in an exciting way because I think that um, I, for one, have just like so many ideas that they're almost like drowning, you know, and I try to write as many as I can down, but um, I think that it's going to be hard just even just day to day i think i'm like not the greatest at writing down lesson plans like i have them in my head right but especially having just to like write them down every you know in in length and full for classes like obviously that doesn't you know that's not what real teachers do but even just thinking about scheduling a unit or scheduling a semester or something it's a little challenge a little daunting to me um and like i said earlier like the, the autonomy um, that teachers don't have uh, kind of uh, scares me a little bit, but like I said earlier, we're learning how to teach despite the lack of autonomy. So I don't know. It's, I mean, I, uh, I can prepare as much as, you know, I can, and I can think about what it's going to be like, but I know that I have no idea what that <laughs> first year is going to be like. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hard. <laughs> I think it's good to go with not very high expectations of like your ideal yeah. <laughs> teaching life, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, some of my friends are, you know, now teachers and I talk to them and stuff and they say that the hardest part about the job is honestly like the collecting the data and recording it and dealing with grades and administration and like just kind of like the behind the scenes teacher stuff, you know, rather than like actually being in the classroom. But they also I mean, every single one of them that I've talked to they always say that it's it's worth it and that they like they love it even though they have all this like mini tasks that they have to do while like trying to get the kids to do all this other stuff and I think that's gonna be kind of hard because I'm, I'm a very like routine oriented type a person so it's gonna be hard with um you know with it, you have to be very flexible if you're a teacher mm-hmm. and things like that and I think I, I, ex- I fully expect it to be hard but mm-hmm. I also fully expect it to be rewarding it's rewarding yeah probably the most exciting is just building relationships in general and just um as long as any of my students take away, like, they don't, it doesn't have to be about the content that I teach them, as long as they just take away something valuable in our relationship, and that, especially in the environment that I'll be teaching in, where a lot of these kids don't have a lot of positives in their life, and if I can be the one positive in their life, like, that's, that's cool with me. Mm-hmm. You know, if they don't, if they don't know about uh, something <laughs> in World History 2, Eh, whatever <laughs> you know so that's cool like that's what excites me the most but yeah. the biggest challenge I think um I think it's definitely like there's definitely that aspect of like the very arduous kind of paperwork that you have to do but also for me the fact that sometimes it'll be the adults that make political decisions and they're not thinking about the children Mm -hmm. when that's what we're doing in education it's about the children and sometimes adults maybe can lose sight of that Mm -hmm. and make decisions that maybe are not in the best interest for the students so 
that's maybe the hardest aspect for me, you know, the fact that there's going to be challenges, but there's nothing that I can do about it. Mm-hmm. And that's probably scarier mm-hmm. than, you know, like paperwork. We're going to all hate it. And I don't think any teacher likes writing down lesson plans and turning them in. Right. Maybe there's one. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, just the stuff that you can't control. I think that's just scary in life in general. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's hard work <laughs> that you don't get paid very much for. And there's times where it could be questionable how much of an influence you're really having. But you invest in them, do what you can with it, and make the most of your, your time with them. Whatever that ends Try up to stay as positive as possible because there's always something that's going to be bright in every day or whatever you're doing. So I just have to keep, like I was saying about, you know, the negativity earlier, I just always have to remind myself of why I am so passionate about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Something we all could do. Yeah. Uh, what's the future of public schools? That's a very big question. <laughs> mm. um, it's a little ambiguous right now, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a lot of changes that are going on in the federal level right now. I don't know what's going to happen in, you know, four years, but, um, you know, maybe some things will change and some things won't. Even, you know, public universities are changing a lot, and um, in terms of, like, the local level, you know, funding changes a lot every day, and, um, like, what do I personally see as the future of public schools? <laughs> Like, I would like to look at it as ideally as possible and say, you know, with more, with people becoming a little bit more progressive and people understanding and respecting education a little bit more day by day, maybe, you know, we can solve some of these problems and, you know, teachers will be respected, students will get the education they deserve, you know, but... Sometimes I look at the news and I'm like, you know, <laughs> I don't really know what's going to happen in the future, so I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But then when you look at, you, you know, you weigh the news versus what you see day to day, you know, with Richmond Teachers yeah. for Social Justice and, you know, all these different podcasts that you can listen to about, you know, these passionate teachers all around the country, I think that I would personally rather focus more on those people who are working really, really hard and diligently to um, preserve this public education and do it well and do it effectively and passionately. Um, so if focusing on that aspect, I think that there are a lot of people doing a lot of really cool things, um, especially in the past, you know, five, ten years, or even three years that I've been even aware of a lot of this stuff. So I don't know. I'm optimistic on the ground level even mm-hmm. even like you know abandoning no child left behind like that was like right. a good first step you know that was, that was that was like a positive i think first step in the right direction and i think with more research and with more you know passionate teachers like you're saying and it'll change like mm-hmm. things, things will change constantly there's always going to be problems i think but i think changes are there's always going to be changes too tyler last word i guess it's one of those things i can look at idea you know idealistically but you know I think for me I guess like the hope for the future of public schools is we get rid of things that don't work Mm -hmm. we know high stakes testing doesn't work get rid of it Hmm. you know like but we do know things that actually do work like RTR it actually does work like residencies for teachers Mm -hmm. it's something that does work 
you know, there's different, you know, school programs that actually work. Like, if if only the future could be as simple as we actually, I personally think we have tools that could actually make things work Project right now. Learning. We don't have to actually create anything. Like, it's there. Mm-hmm. And as long as no one wants to actually tap into it, then I don't think things are going to change that much into the future. But if we can finally get to where we can actually use the resources that we've, that we've had, and I think they've been there for a long time, and then just get rid of all of the fat that doesn't work, then mm-hmm. I totally think the future would be much brighter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, Sarah, Jessica, big things are ahead. Grateful to you. Best of luck in your new jobs as teachers, and thanks, thanks. for sharing your perspective today. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Fun.